to Job 7, because if the two emotions that Job is expressing are anguish and a sense of alienation, the one in Job 7 is really about anger, and in this, he does something extraordinary, expresses his anger with God. Does not man have hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man, like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired man waiting eagerly for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss till dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea? Or the monster of the deep that you put me under God. When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I shall soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I shall be no more. Anger can be good. Anger can be constructive. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. But there's an anger which is also destructive. And Job is angry. Why? Because he feels like a slave. Because life is futile. Worse than that, the slave gets the evening shadow. The hired man gets his wages. But, but Job, instead of pay, gets emptiness. Instead of rest, he gets sleeplessness. He complains of endless nights and the shortness of life. And there is horrific physical pain. He is like the weaver's shuttle in verse 6. He feels used and useless, thrown back and forward in meaningless movement. Isaiah 38, 12, like a weaver, I have rolled up my womb. He has cut me off from the loom. There's a song that I think is one of the most extraordinary, beautiful songs ever written and reflects this as well. I'll not do the whole of it. I'll put some of the words up there. Uh, Bob Dylan's Every Grain of Sand. In the time of my confession, in the hour of my deepest need, when the pool of tears beneath my feet flood every newborn seed, there's a dying voice within me reaching out somewhere, toiling in the danger and in the morals of despair. In the fury of the moment, I can see the Master's hand in every leaf that trembles, in every grain of sand. Then onward in my journey, I come to understand that every hair is numbered like every grain of sand. 
I'm hanging in the balance of the reality of man, like every spiral falling, like every grain of sand. The word that he uses for thread here is the word that is the same word that gets used for hope. And he's saying, like, uh, like Dylan in that song, that, he, that his suffering is so intense that he, he, he's, he looks and he sees the extraordinary beauty but feels the extraordinary pain. He uh, addresses God with three questions, verses 12 to 16. Am I a threat to you? Am I like the monster, Leviathan, the, this image of a sea monster? But he says, I'm not a monster, but God won't let me alone even in my sleep. I have nightmares. Is Job aware of the real spiritual battle, not with a mythical sea monster, but with a real devil? The devil is constantly attacking, seeking to devour him, seeking to wear him down. It's really hard to get this right. It's really hard not to um, exaggerate this or to deny it. But there is a spiritual side to our darknesses. And it's not necessarily that the spiritual side comes from our own sinfulness, but also from the devil attacking us. I, in my own uh, time in hospital, experienced a couple of times what this really, really means. And it is a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. Sin. And really, it, until you realize that this is not something that's coming just from within you, but it is the devil. It is, there is something evil. It's, it, it's inexplicable. There's just something bad, something twisted, something oppressive, something dark. And that's what Job is feeling, and he's asking, God, why? Why? I'm not the devil, but why is the, these things happening to me? Verse 17, he asks, can a puny man be a threat to God? It's a parody of the psalm we just sang, Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? He says, well, what is man that you are, you are regard me as a threat? Job does here what we often do when we are depressed. We turn the promises of Scripture into threats. We twist and we turn them around. The idea of watching over in verse 17 is meant to be of comfort, but Job doesn't see that. He says, God is watching me and judging me. God is watching me and condemning me. God is our supervisor, almost like the evil eye. And again, this is true as a Christian. You can feel this. You can have this feeling of dread and the devil has, has put inside you something that instead of seeing God as a benevolent and loving father, you see him as your oppressor. The psalmist in Psalm 8 asks God to see. Job tells God not to look. Stop looking at me. Verse 18, uh, he uses the word there of uh, visiting that you examine him every morning, that you visit him every morning. And Job says, stop it. Please stop visiting me. Please stop examining me. Job is really just saying, leave me alone. I despise my life. Leave me alone. Don't bother with me. I'm not worth anything. And then in verse 20, it gets even 
even more profound. He says, if I have sinned, why does that harm you? You are the watcher of men. You've discovered that I've sinned. So big deal. You're God. Why not just forgive me? In the um, musical Fiddler on the Roof, Topal, when he sings the song, If I Were a Rich Man, part of it he sings, Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? He's saying, God, what, what harm would it do you to make me rich? How, would, that, would that spoil your plan? Job is saying, what, God, what, what harm would it do you if you just forgave me? Job doesn't understand why he's not being forgiven. Verse 21 is really dripping sarcasm, being sarcastic with God. Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? Because I'm soon going to lie down in the dust. You'll search for me. I'll be no more. You won't be able to forgive me then. It's almost like a childish tantrum. Job's saying, I'm going to die, and then what use will I be? Now, in all of this, Job was wrong. It's really important to understand this. He was wrong. Firstly, he was wrong in thinking that God was his enemy and that he was being punished, even unjustly. And secondly, he was wrong in thinking that death would end it all. Here is the extraordinary thing. I've only skimmed over the depths of what Job feels. And yet his feeling is 100% completely wrong as regards God. God is not his enemy. God is actually pleased with Job, as we will discover later on. But he does something that's really difficult. He waits with silent compassion. See, I don't want God to be like that. I don't want my friends to be like that. I don't want my family to be like that. When I'm suffering, I don't want silent compassion. But there was a reason that this happened to Job. He didn't see it. He didn't grasp it. But God was not his enemy. And we have to learn a lesson from that. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Job's anger was understandable and not totally unjustified. Anger at the loss of dignity, anger at the futility of life, anger at injustice, anger at being unfairly treated. As I said, there is an anger that can be really right. Go and look at U2's performance of Sunday Bloody Sunday in, the, in their, um, one of their tours in the States. Just Google it. I think it was in, in, in Denver. And it was the, the time that I think the Enniskillen bomb went off. And the language is curse from Bono, but almost justified. You feel his anger at the injustice of what has happened. Or the who, when they played the benefit concert in New York at 9-11, and they sang the song, Won't Get Fooled Again. You could feel the emotion and feel the anger, and it's totally justified. And you can feel Job's anger and understand Job's anger when he asks, why? Why won't you speak? Why are you silent? Say something to me. And I want to say this to you. Please, please, please do not judge God or all your circumstances or anyone else by your feelings, by what is happening to you. It does not mean because you feel discouraged and depressed because you feel a bit like Job felt, it does not mean that God has forsaken you or that God has abandoned you. It may mean that God is silent, 
But then he's speaking. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking just now. And here's the solution, I think, that you get to this from taking the, the whole of Scripture. First of all, we come to God in prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. You put your feelings into words. You put your problems into words. Sometimes keeping things silent makes them be magnified, almost like satanic magnification. You say, I'm going to keep this in myself. I'm going to deal with this in myself. I'm going to cope with this myself. And the devil has a field day because he takes what you're feeling and he magnifies it. Pray. Pray with passion. Sometimes we're so insipid and dry. Lord, here's my prayer, but it doesn't really matter to me or anyone else whether you hear or answer. Pray with passion. Hannah prayed like a drunken woman. Jesus, Hebrews 5, 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard because of his reverent submission. Was Jesus faking it when he cried? Was Jesus, when he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he just quoting scripture? Or was he saying what he really, really, really felt? Here is the great thing. You can come to God with any question, with any anger, with any complaint, with any doubt, with any fear, and you can pour out your heart to him. Some people get really wound up and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm backslidden, and am I really a Christian at all? Let me tell you this, backsliders never, ever struggle with that, never. Backsliders are people who are complacent about their sin, who are at ease. Ironically, it's the believer who struggles with sin. It's the believer who feels the pain and the hurt. And so we pray. And then the second thing is we have to be patient. We need to realize the not yet. We don't know everything. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. You're saying, this is terrible. This is really bad. This is what I feel. This is what I am like. This is what's going on. And God says, don't you dare. Don't you dare judge. You don't know. Don't you dare condemn yourself. You don't know. Be patient. That's what you feel, but your feeling is limited. Wait till the Lord comes. Job asks, what is man? Not a beast. That's why God takes such pains with us. God is not going to answer Job's prayer by giving up on him. And I will guarantee, absolutely guarantee this, there isn't a single person here today who feels struggling and in despair, who prays to God that God will give up on you. When Jesus said, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are weary. Was he lying? Was he saying, okay, you've come, ha, tough. I was kidding. You're going to suffer. That's not the case. And the, the, the vital thing here is that we, we, we pray to God and we have patience because we trust God and we praise. The third thing, is your burden heavy? as you bear it on your own? Does the road you travel harbor danger yet unknown? Yet unknown? 
Reach out for Jesus. He's reaching out for you. Job sees his friends as unreliable and inconsistent. But what a friend we have in Jesus. I go back to that definition of sympathy, to suffer together with. This is so hard to believe, and it, but it is so wonderful. There is no human being who will suffer with you absolutely. Let me tell you this. It is wonderful to have your family around you when you are really suffering. You don't want it for them. You want to be the hero and say, just stay away. But actually, in reality, you need them. You know that they are suffering with you and you feel their love and their pain. You need to grasp that this is what Christ is like. Christ is with you in your suffering. Christ is not afraid to get involved. Return to the cross and the forsakenness of Christ. Matthew 27, verse 43. They mocked him. They said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Yet God says, I am pleased with my Son. I want to quantify it in this way. Is it possible that God could have loved Jesus more than when Jesus was on the cross sacrificing himself for his people? Was God really looking upon Jesus and hating him? No, he wasn't. God was looking upon Jesus and loving him, loving him with an intensity and a passion that that you and I can only even begin to dream of. Christ was involved. We have an involved Savior, a Christ who is with us in our pain, a Christ who understands more than we ever will, a Christ who knows the end from the beginning. Job is going to go on and talk about his need for a redeemer, his need for a friend. And I want to say this. I'll I'll say this, first of all, to those of you who are not yet Christians. You need a friend. You need a Savior. You need the friend, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, do not go away from this place shrugging your shoulders and saying, what do I need Jesus for? You need Him because you cannot live without Him. Not really. And to those of us who are Christians, if we are, some of us are not struggling with despair, but we know others who are, come alongside in the name of Christ those who are suffering. Don't judge them. Don't try and make out that you've got it all sussed and all worked out. Just come alongside them in the name of Christ and be with them. And for those of you who are Christians and who are really, really struggling and suffering, I just... I, I, I can't stress this enough. Do not judge your circumstances by your feelings. Do not make your feelings God. Do not make your feelings the center of the universe. That is not to say your feelings are not real. They are absolutely real, and they oppress you and depress you. But do not see God through your feelings. Instead this, understand that although you don't feel it, Christ is with you. We um, had a baptism last Sunday morning, and we used that wonderful blessing from the, the French liturgy for the child, where it says, little child, even though you do not know this, Christ gave himself for you. 
broken Christian, even though you do not feel this, Christ is with you. He will never let you go, and He will never forsake you. We'll respond, I think, by, let's just think about that, pray silently for a moment, and then uh, Richard is going to come and pray for us as a congregation. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.